From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast. It's the Friday Roundtable, and you can find us at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca on your favorite podcast app. You can't find us on Facebook or Meta, but you can find us everywhere else uh, here at the Craig Needles Podcast, and we are joined in studio today by former Thames Center Deputy Mayor Kelly Elliott, uh, former NDP candidate Sean Lukitz is here, as is uh, former London City Council candidate Jeremy McCall. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. Hello. Hello. Uh, there is obviously a lot to get to this week, and let's start with Greenbelt, because that is the story of the week. And Auditor General Bonnie Lissick has uh, issued her report, and I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast has already seen the report. They understand that Bonnie Lissick has said there was preferential treatment for certain developers. There was $8.3 billion in property value that was gained by the opening up of Greenbelt in certain spots. There was only 22 uh, parcels of land that were considered. I think everyone's seen kind of the highlights of the report and I had a chance to talk about it with Mike Schreiner this week. My question is, I think most people in Ontario, not everybody, but most people are going to see this and be like, well, this is ridiculous and it's it's corrupted and be ticked off about it. But how much is it going to matter? Is this something that's going to blow over for these guys in a week or two weeks for Doug Ford, for Steve Clark, for this Ryan Amato, the staffer? Or is this something that kind of sticks to them, do you think, a little bit? Because I, I think this is as bad as anything we've seen a government do in recent history from an ethics perspective, as bad or worse. You know, I think I have this new jaded perspective on politics that I think, you know, um, we're still a couple of years out from an election. Uh, I don't think any of the other parties, and I think you saw it in um, Merritt Stiles' uh, comments where she asked for Clark's resignation and not Ford's, um, that the NDP are not ready for an election. Uh, The Liberals don't even have a leader. They are definitely not ready for an election. Um, So nobody is going to be pushing for an early election for Ford's resignation anytime soon. Um, So we still have a couple years left of this. And um, two years in politics is a lifetime. (laughs) And there is a lot of money that can get doled out. There's a lot of, you know, fancy look at these announcements that can be made that uh you know and ford's already doing it i mean pushing out he said it today in his in his press conference you know you say your messages we're going to stick to our messages and it's going to be a big push about how great they are and and trying to make people forget about it and and in two years are people going to forget about it unfortunately i think the general public will Yeah, I'm usually pretty pessimistic. I think, you know, you often ask this question, Craig, when we're talking about, you know, political scandals, of which there are many. Yeah, it turns out there's (laughs) there's a lot of them. (laughs) And usually I say, you know, I don't think it's going to stick. But this one, I think, is a bit different. I think it's a big issue. Everybody knows the green belt. Um, The media attention to this is quite large. And this is different, right? This isn't like some, you know, scandal with like, you know, that's just flying under the radar. It has significant implications and it feeds into the narrative of what we know about Ford and the Conservatives and that their politics serve their purposes and their people and they can spin it any way they want that this is about more housing for new immigrants or students or people who can't afford the housing but it doesn't take much to look and know that that's not the case that this housing is 
not needed on the Greenbelt, that there was enough land um, that uh, could go to housing otherwise. It's not going to be affordable housing for the people who need it most. It's going to be single family homes instead of you know, high density or medium density, which is needed to really address the housing crisis. And you're building on some of the most vulnerable land we have in Ontario during a climate crisis when floods are flooding, forests are burning, and the narrative is, you know, we need to protect the land that we have. So it may be two years out from an election, but I think that this one isn't going to go away. And that knowing the Ford government, they will continue to do this kind of stuff that reinforces that this is exactly who they are. They favor the people that are, you know, wealthy and on their side, and then they spin it as if it's for the people, but I don't think the people are buying it. I will just say, Ford did mention today that 10% of those houses that they're going to build on the Greenbelt will be affordable. So 5,000 of the 50,000 homes that they're going to build will be, quote, affordable and attainable, whatever that means. I am skeptical about that claim, to say the least. Jeremy, what do you think? Uh, So first things first, I did promise to come on with nothing but hot takes today. Good. release of this report kind of made those takes a little more mild. I do work for a program funded by the provincial government, so I'm going to be a little bit uh, G-rated here. Uh, affordable housing, I don't know what it looks like anymore. People are saying 50% of their income should be going towards housing now, and when you go to the grocery store, 80% of your income goes to groceries already, so that's really not going to be a thing. Uh, honestly, like, it's just, it's not good. Like, I've been paying attention to politics for about 15 years now, and I've been disappointed for about 15 years in a row, and it really is more of the same. Uh, everyone's going to demand that people resign. Nobody's going to resign. People will go back to scrolling TikTok and really nothing will change. And I really, the only hope that I get out of this is that people are going to start talking about maybe it's time for something different. Maybe it's time to start working together. Maybe it's time to start focusing on solutions and not just doing laps around the same uh, differences and issues and just nothing ever getting better. So really, I hope it's an eye opener, but I'm really skeptical moving forward. I think there's a couple things that are going to be a little bit different about this compared to other things. One, some of the stuff is things that are in the weeds that only people who are paying attention to politics are going to pay attention to. This is, I think, beyond that. When you're talking about developers getting billions of dollars in increased land value, this is something that is easy to wrap your head around from the perspective of, hey, their friends were being told this is where you can buy land in order to get development or their friends were saying, this is where I already own land. Please allow development here. It's very easy to wrap your head around saying, this is rigging the game. You are rigging the game. And I think that people are going to respond to that. Now, I believe that the Ford government's play here is to hope this all just blows over because they know they're, they essentially were caught red-handed here. So the plan is, let's just hope this all goes away and the voters forget about it and we're going to be okay. And maybe when they were going through this process back in the fall of last year, the thought at the time was, even if we get caught doing this, because we're obviously being sloppy with stag and doe attendance, with wedding attendance, with envelopes being exchanged at dinners and things along those lines. Now, the honor, the envelopes didn't have money in them, so said Bonnie Lissick. Nonetheless, they were being outwardly sloppy, and maybe they thought, hey, you know what? Who cares if we get caught because no one's going to do anything to us if we are? That's the cynical way to look at it, but I really think that's their plan here. I think what's going to be most interesting is, and what I find most 
embarrassing and frustrating and disappointing of this whole thing is uh, what's going to happen to the rural ridings in terms of, you know, you look at representatives like I'll use Lisa Thompson as the prime example because I have had a lot of respect for Lisa Thompson in the past. Um, but even, you know, the Monty McNaughton's, the Rob Flax, the Ernie Hardiman's who are, you know, you feel like they have the bile taste in their mouth as they're repeating the party's talking points and they have to know that this is terrible that you know giving up all of that agricultural land these guys all have agricultural backgrounds they know the consequences to what's happening and what Ford and Clark are doing and yet they stay absolutely quiet in all of this just repeating those party um, party points and the fact that it's almost like they have sold their souls to the party and and what they're going and what's going to happen to them you know and you've already started to see it on on their social media they're talking about you know all of the investments they're making in in agriculture I think Monty just tweeted about you know three hundred thousand dollars that they're putting into um, getting young people into the dairy industry Uh, and so they really have this um those mpps really have this uh um talking points about how great farming is and how they're promoting the agricultural industry and and that has to play into what has come out in in this so what's going to happen to those rural riding um mpps who are are obviously not standing up for our rural communities who aren't standing up for our agricultural industry when it comes to protecting agricultural land and also, you know, to and it goes as far as to the municipal elected officials that we have across the province who all have ties to the PC party that that are very blatant, and we know that, and, and they're staying quiet on all of this as well. And so, um, what happens to that? Is if if this is going to be that big of an issue, is it going to come to light for them? I think this also isn't the end, you know, like we know that there is the uh, integrity commissioner um, still doing an investigation. There is potential for the OPP to lay charges and that there is more to find. Right. This isn't this isn't the end of what they have done. And so the story will continue because it's the truth. Right. This isn't political spin on the part of any party outside of the conservatives. This is not the liberals, the greens or the NDP trying to paint the conservatives as the bad guys. They did this. And not only did they do this, they didn't go to the developers and say, hey, what kind of land would you like us to open up for the Greenbelt? Which would have been terrible which would have been terrible and sort of what was expected. But what ended up happening was it was actually the developers coming to them and naming the land. And I think that that kind of access, that kind of favoritism, that kind of financial gain is illegal for one. And, you know, I obviously I do think it will stick to them uh, politically. And I hope so. Like, I, I do not think you know, we can disagree on the the politics of different parties and, you know, should Mm -hmm. a party go out of power for this reason or that reason. I think most people could agree that this should sink them. I I think in a world that made sense, it would. (laughs) I don't know if we live in a world that made sense. But as an example, if we were in the UK right now as an example, where somehow accountability for politicians didn't cross the Atlantic, but if we were in the UK right now, Doug Ford's probably, if not done on like hypothetical, like, you know, life support, not real life support, but he, he would be in a real bad way right now. Steve Clark is already gone. 
if we're in the UK right now. I, I really believe that. So somehow accountability for politicians just isn't a thing that we do. And that doesn't just apply here. It applies federally. It applies all over the place. Uh, but it's just not a thing that we do here. I, I'm glad you mentioned the farm aspect of it, Kelly, because Jeremy said, hey, you know, you're spending a lot of your grocery bill, uh, your, your, your income at, at the grocery store. Uh, a way to negate that is to not get rid of farmland. <laughs> I don't, let's not make crops more scarce. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. Lo I mean, local food sec security is, is a big deal. Um, and when you take out that farmland, we are importing more food. I mean, it's as, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, we can get more complex. But, but at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, you're taking out farmland that doesn't need to be taken out. And all of a sudden, we don't have that that local food security anymore. Um, I do want to just point out to go back to, you know, the accountability piece of it. I, I went back and looked at um, some articles from Tim Hudak when the gas plant scandal came <laughs> out. Um, and Which feels like two lifetimes ago. It does. It feels like a really long time ago, but it really wasn't. But um, And I put it on Twitter today, but he said, let people cast judgment on this government. I mean, enough is enough when he called for the liberals to call for an election uh, after all of this. And it just kind of feels like, hmm. This kind of feels familiar. <laughs> there is a similar vibe to gas plants. Uh, Jeremy, I, I, like, obviously there are going to be people who are turned off by this, and there are people that would have voted progressive conservatives in the last election, I think, that are, that are turned off by this. Do you think anyone is ready to kind of take up the mantle and sort of be the governing party in this, in this province right now, knowing full well that the liberals are kind of just without a leader? Uh, my political opinions are a little bit biased in that they're kind of stuck in the London area. And I think London's kind of stuck because we can't all just get along. And I think <laughs> that that really only gets better when we figure out a path forward based on what we agree upon. I think we all agree upon that, you know, what's happening we're not okay with. It's not good for anybody. Like, I know UPS doesn't ship food, but, like, their drivers, as of yesterday, make $170,000 after their first five years. Like, we shouldn't be shipping food, right? We should be keeping food, as Kelly said, coming out locally. And I think, really, the PC party is succeeding right now because, in spite of their differences, they stick together like glue, right? Like, you have the Red Tories, you have the far-right pro-lifers, and they're all willing to give each other a little bit of grace. And I think... Anyone out there who wants to make a change in this realm has to figure out how you can kind of replicate that, but in the way that people want it to be. There's so much split and there's so many little mini fractions on the other side of the table that it's really not going to get better until we all kind of get better as individuals. Let's all hold all of our own feet to the fire and then take it forward from there. That's an interesting take, Jeremy. And I think, you know, I, I think I agree with like the overall, like what you're saying, absolutely, in terms of people getting along and finding that common ground and, you know, to address the big issues. And I think, you know, we see that locally, like around housing and, and whatnot, you know, I there's kind of a concerted effort among many groups to to move the issue forward. And some people, people who don't agree, you know, are sitting at the same tables. And we absolutely need more of that. You know, my problem with the conservatives and the way they kind of, um, you know, keep house is as what you were saying, Kelly, around, you know, 
MPPs like towing the line instead of standing up for what they know is right and, and knowing that they, maybe this impacts their constituents and this impacts their communities in really, really negative ways. And we all know within every political party, there's discipline around like what you can say and what you can't say. No party is above that. But this idea of like kind of like closing ranks and and at all costs, you know, it's the party line and and stuff. That's that's the power and the um, the the what's the word I'm looking for the the use of power that mm-hmm. you know we need out of politics because there needs to be accountability within parties you need to be able to say hey you know i don't think what you did there was right and you know of course there's always going to be party messaging and stuff to a certain uh degree but disagreeing within politics is part of it 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 is part of it what we don't need is the division for division's sake and the idea that you know because you have a different idea i don't like you and I'm never going to agree with you and I'm never going to come to the table with you. You know, I think a lot of that more collegial type of politics that used to exist in the past at the provincial and the federal level is, is, is I don't want to say it's not present because it certainly exists within certain people and, and, and groups, but it's definitely less common and it's not the norm and, and that's a problem. But we still need to be able to hold people accountable. I think I've had a couple of fascinating conversations in terms of, you know, um, coming from a rural riding and, and knowing rural ridings is that, you know, they always default to PC, generally speaking. Um, and and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it again is is other political parties have yet to take rural issues and make them a priority in, in platforms. And so it it's always, you know, well, maybe we don't vote for PC. Are they defaulting to PC, <laughs> because, defaulting no to PC because no one else has yeah. done it? And in, and in history's past, um, the PC has always kind of been the the spokesperson for rural issues up until you know the last few years um and so it's always kind of a default but the conversations that i've been having and i think um bobby ann brady and norfolk kind of set this precedence of having an independent um and even uh one prominent farmer in, in norfolk had said to me you know it's great having an independent mpp because i don't have to listen to all this party crap like i don't i don't have that and and as much as bobby m brady at at the end of the day is is a conservative um having that independent presence is is refreshing and, and a lot of them are saying that you know like maybe that's the way we have to go we need more independents in there that don't have to toe that party line that can speak up for issues that are that are good um for their community and so it's just kind of fascinating to kind of see that rural perspective of leaning more towards that independent when they don't have a party that stands up for them. Kelly, did you just volunteer to become our uh, Bernie <laughs> <laughs> I think you could be our Bernie. That's, that's yeah, I uh, I think that there there may be some level of pushback. It's it's hard to figure out how it would work. But the Bobby and Brady thing was kind of lightning in a bottle. You know, uh, she got burned a little bit by. Uh, uh, by the progressive conservative, Absolutely. you know, the party. And then she and Toby Barrett decided to take revenge upon this. That, that's not a scenario you're going to be able to recreate in a lot of places. But will we see people sort of say just rejecting the party structure in general in enough numbers that independents can get in? I don't know. Because one thing I've heard a lot online in the wake of the green belt thing is, well, I'm angry with the liberals over this, 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 and this, and it's a variety of federal and provincial issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm angry with the conservatives because of this, this, and this, and it's mostly Doug Ford-related stuff. And I know Shauna's not going to want to hear this, but and I don't want to vote for the NDP because of this, this, or this. I'm like, oh, and so I don't know who to vote for. I'm like, 
I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of people who are, who are going to feel this way. And I just don't know if that energy can be harnessed by someone. And maybe it can't be. But that, that's something I've been hearing a lot in the last couple of days in, in regards to this is, well, the liberals have this scandal and the, the conservatives have this scandal and I don't like any of these. And like, okay, no one has to like anything. I just don't know how productive it is to not like anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's like really one of the, the you know, domino effects of this is how it, it um, you know, feeds that narrative that politics is corrupt and they're all terrible, right? And we don't need that to be true. We don't need that that example to be out there. We need people to believe in politics and they need to believe in political leaders that they're going to do the right thing and they're going to be on their side and all the other things. And, you know, a situation like this that is so blatant and so terrible, you know, it is akin to the gas plant scandal that sticks in people's heads and that's how they start to perceive politics. And when it comes to election time, those people will stay home. You know, it's not, will they vote NDP? Will they vote conservative? Will they vote liberal? Will they vote green? They just won't vote. And we see that in voting numbers. And that's not what we need. That's not a healthy, strong democracy. And, um, you know, it's it's terrible to kind of have to, you know, keep pointing out all the all the scandals and all the terrible things, knowing that you are feeding that narrative. But the narrative has truth in it. Yeah. And that's the thing. <laughs> so, you're, you're, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. One, we don't want to tell everyone that politics is corrupt. Two, we don't want to let the Ford government off for being corrupt. Like, so like, yeah. what, what, do we do, what do we do here? Like, I, so I, I get it. And, and I know people are going to shudder a little bit the word corrupt. And I know that the word corrupt is, uh, has, has drawn some lawsuit threats uh, in and around Queens Park. But after this, where it says the government was given prefer- preferential treatments to d- developers that were friendly to them, right in a report from the Auditor General. Uh, I don't know if anyone can be argumentative about the word corrupt anymore. Like, it's, that's, that, that, that's just how I think that you can accurately describe at least this portion of what this government has been doing. And that's not to say that every single person who works in this government has done bad things. Of course not. But they've, this is corrupt. What's happened with the Greenbelt? There's, there's no other way to use. There's no other word to use. So uh, that's going to be, I think, something that shifts the public consciousness about this a little bit too is uh, now that word, I think, is going to be used a little more often just because there's no really way to argue against it. Other thing I wanted to note before we uh, wrap up on Greenbelt here, uh, I, I think that there are going to be some members of the provincial parliament who have a harder time dealing with this than others. And I've heard from people, you know, and I'm not going to say who they are because they, they asked me to not, but I've heard from people that are, are not elected officials in the Progressive Conservative Party, but people who work within the Progressive Conservative Party that have said to me, Craig, this, like, why did we do this? Like, like, this is just hurting whatever it is we want to accomplish. It's a cloud over everything. Why did we do this? I'm wondering if we see some MPPs to the point that you were all talking about earlier say, I don't want to do this anymore. And maybe we get some resignations, you know, not quite right before we do an election in 2026, but maybe even, you know, 2025 resignations, 2024 resignations, because they don't want to stand for a re-election. Because we've seen that happening with the federal liberals right now. A bunch of cabinet ministers said, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. To that, I say, yes, I think that's absolutely going to happen. I think there's going to be some prominent MPPs that won't that just don't want to 
stick their name to it anymore that won't run for a re-election because they know this is going to hurt them. But at the end of the day, like that's a cop out and I'm sorry and I'll call every single one of them out because if you're not going to quit today because of what's happening and because you don't want to stand up for your integrity. Don't quit in 24 yeah, months. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't quit next year. Quit now. Yeah, because you're complicit, right? Yeah, you are complicit. Not everybody within the uh, PC party is obviously corrupt and it has been a part of this deal and whatnot. And there are people like, you know, Steve Clark and obviously Doug Ford and the chief of staff who hold like the bulk of the responsibility. But there's complicity when you stand by and you're part of a party and you just, you know, keep feeding the the party lines um, and then you wait to not run again quietly, maybe don't even talk about this. Like, that's about you and your ability to get reelected. That's actually not integrity. Integrity is standing up and saying the hard thing when it's actually hard. And, you know, I'll put the plug in for, for Kelly running for anything <laughs> because, you know, I, you know, that, that is actually what you're, you're very well known for is, you know, although you may be, uh, you know, at least historically a progressive conservative and a conservative, you will hold every party accountable, including your own and very much probably even more your own because you have you have high expectations. That's what we that's what we need every politician to do um, and not just, you know, pretend like they do. I don't know if the people at Rob Flack's office are going to like this. <laughs> well, I, know, you know, I don't think Rob Flack's office likes me anyway, yeah. so whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think like, I know people across the entire political spectrum. I can get along with most of them on a lot of things. And I think what I hear from everyone is they are troubled by two things. The accountability portion, which John was just speaking to, and also the voter apathy portion. And I think those go hand in hand across any party, across any political spectrum. The Polyev supporters want Trudeau held accountable. The Trudeau supporters want him held accountable same thing at the provincial level and i think nothing really gets better until the solution is made if anyone were to you know walk across the floor right now i would tip my hat to them as someone Mm -hmm. who lived their values no matter what like Mm -hmm. you can't be somebody who promises to do the right thing at all times and then just sit around and just kind of shrug your shoulders and hope it all blows over those all can't and that's the thing i think there's a lot of mpps who didn't know this was happening Mm -hmm. like uh, to give them some credit they didn't know this whole fiasco you know they might have had hints what was going on but not really known the whole extent of it because Ford really runs that party top down, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're at the bottom, you're, you don't know what's going on. Um, but I think after this, after it's all come out in the public, like if you stick around for another year or two, like you are complicit in all of this and you are saying, it's okay, I don't mind what's happening in our party. And, and again, speaks to your integrity. And maybe you don't even need to step aside, but you need to say something. You need to say this isn't the, this, you know, mm-hmm. however you, you do it, you need to be, you need to acknowledge that this was wrong in a clear way where you're not like doing political doublespeak. If nothing happens and we get 20% turnout in the next election, we all signed up for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not signing up for it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that people, you mentioned the accountability leading to the apathy. I think that's definitely a thing because we talked about gas plants earlier. There was, I don't know if accountability is the right word, but A, one guy went to jail for a month because Mm -hmm. of gas plants. B, um, Chris Bentley had to resign because of gas plants, and that obviously had impacts here in, in this community. Peggy Sattler became the MPP of London West because Chris Bentley had to resign because of gas plants. And further to that, 
Dalton McGinty essentially had to leave being the premier of Ontario because the heat got turned up a little too much. And he had, they realized that the only way for this to, to, to blow over is for him to be gone. And that worked out for them. Kathleen Wynne became the premier of Ontario and she got elected to a majority. Uh, I don't think that would have happened if Dalton McGinty was still there. But at the very least in that point, there was some accountability. Something went wrong and two high-level politicians and uh, lost their jobs over it. Other staffers lost their jobs over it. And one staffer spent some time behind bars. I don't know what kind of bars were at that particular facility, <laughs> but just, you know, you let, let me use the phrasing the way I want. Uh, so there was some level of accountability there. I think that makes people feel better about the system. Okay, you screwed up. Well, you're going to lose your job now because if I screw up that badly at my job, I don't get to work there anymore. Why do you still get to keep your job? I think that would be something people would identify with. They would say, okay, at least the system is working. If, you know, Steve Clark, as an example, you're not Minister of Housing and Municipal Affairs anymore. I think oh, I think Ryan Amico is going to be the fall guy. I mean, oh, yeah. he is Ryan going Amato, to take like, the heat of all of this. I don't I understand think, why he wasn't fired already. Uh, well, like, yeah. you should have fired that guy I on think Wednesday. Steve Clark will take some heat for it. He, he might step aside. He'll remain an MPP, not the Minister of Housing. Um, I don't think Doug Ford, nothing's going to happen to Ford. Not immediately. Um, no, because you know what? Every, again, I'll, on t- or today. Today isn't Ford Fest in, in Windsor today, and everyone's going to be cheering and how great Ford is. And, and August 20th, which happens to be the opening day of AMO when all municipal elected officials from across the province are in London, it's going to be Ford Fest in London. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. I think it's just going to be a big cheery day when everyone loves Doug Ford. And, and you know, it's funny because I don't, think, I don't think Ford is this mastermind and all of this is happening. He's that you know, from that, from high school, that popular guy that just wanted to be popular with all the cool kids. And, and, and I think that's what Ford's going to do. And he's just going to have all those people around him, you know, telling him how great he is. And he's not going to step aside for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, that might be the way. And I, I agree with you that, that Ford generally just wants to be liked. I think that's his, that's his main motivator. Uh, but sometimes if you're wanting to be liked by the wrong people, it causes you to do the wrong things. Uh, let's talk about uh, something a little more local before we wrap up. And next week, London City Councillors are going to be discussing homelessness in the community from this perspective. It was long thought to be, uh, I don't know if conspiracy theory is the right word, but something that isn't really happening all that much, that pe- the other communities would send those who are experiencing homelessness to London just to sort of get them out of their hair. And I, 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 that's something that city staff are saying, okay, it actually is happening there's some numbers that we're going to attach to it. Here it is. So the deputy mayor, Sean Lewis, has said, well, let's ask some of our municipal colleagues about this and let's ask the province about this. Let's have some conversations here. I, I, I don't think that necessarily is going to uh, uh, cause anyone any offense to talk about it. But do you think it's going to lead to any sort of real life, uh, actual actionable items, Jeremy? Uh, so I started working in mental health back in 2008. Uh, this goes back to Cell Street days. And this was a thing to a degree back then, but it was kind of the secret nobody talked about. I did take some people back to their communities, like in Concordia and whatnot, once you know some supports were established. But I think the overall homelessness situation in London has become so overwhelming that people aren't able to turn a blind eye to it anymore. And all the credit to Deputy Mayor Lewis, le- listening to the people with the concerns and leading the charge to ask for some actual measurement of is this a real thing and then to look at some sort of accountability moving forward. Uh, When I started working downtown back in 2004, 
there was like four homeless people and we knew them and we got them meals when they were hungry. We threw them some change when we could. And every single year since then, that number's grown and grown and grown and grown. Is sending them back to the communities that came from a solution long-term? No. Will it make the supports locally a little bit more accessible to everyone else? Yes. And I think I really do commend that we're not going to turn a blind eye to this anymore and we're going to look at what sort of tangible measures, what sort of, for lack of a better term, consequences can be at play for those who just nimby a real human being with real problems and real needs into another community. Something I should mention is the numbers are people who are dealing with homelessness, who when staff asked, hey, did you want to come to London? Responded, no, I didn't. I, you know, that, that's so, so involuntarily relocated is, is, is definitely something that needs to be uh, a part of the conversation here because that's what's, uh, that's what's in the motion. Is that what, though, is that 300 people who have said exactly No, that? it's 25% of the 300 that were, the 300 were from other places. Yes. 25% of those 300, so 70-something-ish, uh, said, no, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't want to come to London. I was here and they essentially sent me to London. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction because I also don't think that people are necessarily, I mean, I'm sure it happens, but I don't think that communities in Concordia or elsewhere are like, you know what, let's just ship these people out. They're not our problem. Let's send them to London. The reality is that, you know, rural and, um, you know, less large size cities have less resources. And we all go to different places to access services and resources that our own community doesn't have. And this isn't all that different. And whether somebody comes from you know Exeter or you know um, they come from Byron they are Mm -hmm. still a person Mm -hmm. in need of supports and care and so you know I do think that there is a danger to this narrative being um, elevated as much as it has been this past week because we already see an escalation of hostility within the London community to people who are unhoused and people who work with the unhoused what happened at London Cares is a good example and you know this othering and this idea that people don't belong here is is not something that I think we need to feed into and that doesn't mean that we don't need to address the fact that you know we that perhaps people perhaps need to be reunited with their home communities and the people where they are coming from and the supports that they have there but I have it take a little bit of an issue with the way the motion is presented because it escalates exactly what I'm talking about and it goes after service providers here as if they are the ones at fault who are doing this and 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 you know suggest that they should lose funding and whatnot from that but as I'm reading the background to the motion it's like well wait a second I thought we were talking about other people sending people here so why what's this issue and it just feeds into this you know division of so many different players that for once have been able to kind of come together and work together to solve an issue. And it's not on, um, you know, necessarily concurrent entirely to solve you know, the social service gaps that they have in that community, that's advocacy to the provincial government that needs to happen, right? So I 100% agree with Shauna here in, in terms of, and an when I was on the Women's Caucus of Middlesex County Council, we did a lot of advocacy on behalf of the City of London, without the City of London's help, by the way, um, uh, for the City of London on this issue, and that this really needs to be a provincial issue, because for the last 40, 50 years, social services has been centric based. It hasn't been community based. And so the reality is 
for the last 50 years, anyone who needed social services went to the city of London to get services because that's where services were. Because we never treated rural or or home or in our small communities homelessness or poverty as an issue. It doesn't happen in small communities. You still hear people today tell me it doesn't happen in our communities. People aren't homeless in in Temp Center. And and so why do we need these services in Temp Center? We don't have it Um, because it's not visible, Um, but it's starting to become visible. You're seeing homelessness in our campgrounds in Temp Center. In the town of St. Mary's, you are seeing homelessness happen on the streets. Um, And it has just gotten because, because everybody went to the city of London. The city of London can't help the people in city of London homelessness in the city of London, let alone what's the homelessness in southwestern Ontario. And so they're getting pushed back out into their communities where they don't have supports in their communities. So I agree as much as I understand where Deputy Mayor Lewis is coming from. The problem is in the long term, you ship them back to their communities. If they don't have the resources and proper supports in their in their communities, it's just going to keep happening. It's a domino effect. And until the province takes this seriously, and, and again, it's a provincial issue, until the province steps up, it, this isn't a city of London issue. I, I agree with you entirely. This is uh, at its heart a provincial issue from the perspective of uh, mental health, from the perspective of addictions, and most importantly, from the perspective of social assistance. Ontario Works and ODSP is terribly underfunded. Uh, I just want to read the actual motion just so people know uh, exactly what it is we're talking about. You can see the story about this at londonnewstoday.ca as well. Uh, The motion is as follows. That the mayor and government relations staff be directed to undertake immediate advocacy efforts with the Association of Municipalities Ontario, the Ontario Big City Mayor's Caucus, and the government of Ontario to develop a united policy condemning the relocation of homeless individuals, and this is the key sentence, under false pretense or against their will. And to further work with those partners to undertake the development of processes to stop this practice, including but not limited to the withdrawal of public funding, charitable or not-for-profit status of any organization found to be actively engaged in such activities and or suspension of professional accreditation of individuals found to be engaged in such activities. So that's part B. That's the part Shauna doesn't like. And part C. And to work with the province to develop a program by which those released from hospitals or detention centers are provided proper discharge planning that that includes transportation back to their home communities. And I don't know how many of the 70-something per year that are found that say, hey, I don't want to be in London, yet I'm here anyway, are people that come from one of our hospitals or from EMDC. But I'll tell you right now, I know just from talking to people in the industry, it's it's not zero. It's not mm-hmm. zero. So I think C should be something everyone should get on board with, that, okay, we've released you from EMDC. If you want to go back to wherever it is in Ontario where we brought you here from, we'll be able to get you there. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that makes sense. Yes. If you have issue with B, I, I can sort of wrap my head around that depending on sort of, I guess, how intensely we want to pursue something like that and, and what that would look like, I suppose. And how you decide, sorry, Jeremy, you go ahead. I, sorry. <laughs> I, I think this is my opportunity to go to bat on behalf of my colleagues and on behalf of the sector. I agree with everything that's been said by my colleagues around the table here. But from a frontline perspective, I think this is the first time we're having a conversation 
about the yellow brick road not leading to where people want it to go. Um, so without breaking any confidentiality, there are programs in London that had money that's supposed to last through December and that money is already gone. That money was supposed to go mm-hmm. towards keeping people housed. It was supposed to go towards getting them food, putting clothes on their backs, and it is at zero. And there's people in my field who are already getting paid between 21 and $25 an hour with $1,700 a month rent, collecting what they have extra and giving that to these people so that they have something to eat. And really, it's just we need to talk about this provincial false illusion that th- that the badness is a regional thing, it's a local thing, and that it's not a provincial thing. Like, we all know that we don't give enough social assistance to the people that need it. We all know that there's no health care available for people struggling for mental health issues and you're waiting 18 months to be seen. And, like, it's not any better in London than it is in a Goderich or a Concarden or even a, a Thorndale. And I think, I agree with everybody, we need to be loud that it has to change and it has to change now. And, like, when we're going to spend $250 million on addressing homelessness locally, if that doesn't include a pay raise for the people on the front lines, they're going to be gone, right? We're just picking where this dam is going to break. I have colleagues right now who are looking in the private sector because they can't afford to do the work that they love anymore. And really, things should have changed five years ago, and we're long overdue for doing something about it. I think it was Kevin Dickens who was on um, CBC who was talking about like the impact on frontline workers, you know, doing this work and not being able to provide people with the resources that they need and the toll that that takes. And so I have a really difficult time imagining somebody sitting in a small town or community saying, well, I'm just like going to ship these people off Mm -hmm. to London because I don't care. That's not what's happening. It's we can't support you here. We don't have the supports that you need. You need, you know, this, this, and this. It exists in this community. I would suggest you go there. It may end up being more helpful for you. I don't work on the front lines. I don't work in those organizations, but I do know that the people who are drawn to those jobs and do that kind of hard, soul-crushing work every single day don't do it for the paycheck necessarily, right? They're doing it because they care. And so this isn't social service agencies trying to pass the buck they're trying to find solutions and so there may be a better solution that needs to be found to address this idea of influx of people coming to London but it's not a blame thing and it's really important in the ways that we talk about it that we're not further marginalizing people who are unhoused and further escalating the idea that people don't belong here nor are we further marginalizing the people who spend their days trying to help these people so as far as the point of the fingers that you know who should lose accreditation and funding and things along those lines the scenario that I outlined earlier, uh, we've sent you to EMDC, now we've let you out and you have no way to get home. You've went, you've gone to LHSC and now you're looking to get home. Doesn't that mean the province of Ontario is the one doing the sending to London? Yeah. yeah, and, I, and I, I agree with point number three. One, yes, yes. one thing that I want to point out, too, is um, in terms of, of locally in Middlesex County and the City of London, um, when it comes to um, housing and homelessness, the City of London is the service provider for Middlesex County. Um, and so when the province sends money to all of... Um, of the cities and municipalities, Middlesex County is lumped into the city of London. And so the city of London is actually responsible for providing these services within Middlesex County. Um, And a lot of the advocacy we did, um, and actually Steve Clark told us to um, go pound wood a few times um, when it came to um, trying to get us split. Um, And because we advocated that the city of London doesn't even have enough resources 
to deal with the city of London, let alone Middlesex County. Like, split us off. Give us our own money. Let us do our own thing. And, and Steve Clark told us uh, no. And um, But that that's another big point of it is that... You know that, who Steve Clark's okay to get money to? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, but... But what it comes down to, though, is that there's people from Middlesex County coming into the city of London for services because that's where services are. That's where they're being provided. Uh, and so that's another big thing um, is is where where they're coming from, because if it's in Middlesex County, it's it is the city of London's responsibility. Yeah, here's what I'll say. And yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, that what it, it says within the motion is that they're talking about people who have been, uh, in, in some cases, lied to. And that's what we're talking about. Um, I think that there are people that may have been lied to about what is or is not available in London. So that's the false pretense part. Uh, against their will, that's a little tougher. Uh, but I, I, I want to see how B would, would operate and how the province would do B. But that, to me, is, is the is the part where I'd say I need more details about this before I can get on board with it. Because if it's, hey, some someone from a policing service said, hey, go to London, you're going to be happier there. Yeah, we can talk about that. Let's 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 talk about that policing service and saying, what the hell's going on over there if you've lied to somebody? And I think that that's happened. And that, I think that people within the city of London might tell you that that may have happened to people. Uh, some OPP officer somewhere north of the city says, oh, yeah, get on the bus, go to London. You're going to be better off there. So uh, maybe maybe B needs to be refined. I think that there will be some conversation certainly about that at London City Hall when it comes up. Uh, last thing on this before we wrap up, we've also seen uh, potentially some delays for the hubs program. Does anyone have concerns about that? Anybody worried about that? Uh, uh, seeing some of the conversation about where we're at on hubs, because I really want to get these things in here before December, but I don't know if that's the way it's going to go for us. I'm when anytime I see a headline involving hubs, it's almost like you're too afraid to look because you have this sense of dread as to, you know, oh boy, here we go again. I think that really, you know, the neighbors in the neighborhoods, the people on the streets, people on the front lines, they all want to see the same thing, which is a place to go. And I know that we've had previous failures with, you know, the winter success program in terms of getting people indoors prior to it being too cold to be outdoors. And I really hope that the people making these decisions can realize that it might be okay to, you know, put the cart and the horse together and get people inside and get the supports rolled out and refine them once we're, you know, we have uh, some sort of option in place. Because really cold weather is, what, six weeks away right now? And I think we, as a community, can't afford any more delays. We can't afford any more life lost in the streets. We can't afford, uh, you know, just sitting around the table with too many cooks in the kitchen, dragging things on any second longer than it needs to be. Yeah. I think that what we heard from the report that went to council and then, you know, um, you know, what most of council said, not all, of course, uh, as we know, um, but the majority, because the majority voted in favor of it, um, as well as from city staff, is that the what the, the hubs are trying to address and the, the measure is death right we are trying to prevent people from dying so absolutely to what jeremy said like you know this isn't a time for like more consultation and more like people's lives are at stake and you know we need to see this happen now so any delays are concerning 
I won't repeat too much. I agree with um, both Jeremy and Shauna and this and the fact that you're right. Cold winter is six weeks away. You're running out of time. I mean, if you want more public consultations, go back to April. It's too late now. Maybe we can recall a previous episode of the show, Hollywood Cheryl Miller. Where are the trailers? Right? <laughs> we can put those in a parking lot. We can start to get those some. Those trailers could be up and going in a couple weeks if we uh, wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are people within the homeless community that said, hey, you know what I liked? those trailers so yeah uh let's uh wrap up the friday roundtable here thank you very much to kelly and shauna and jeremy for joining us today thanks to all of you for listening to and downloading and subscribing to and reviewing and rating and all that fun stuff with the craig needles podcast which of course can be found at classicrock981.com and at londonnewstoday.ca the craig needles podcast is a presentation of the blackburn media podcast network 